Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is The Stacks Book Club Day. We are discussing The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America by Marcus J. Moore. Our guest is Cole Kushna, host of the Dissect podcast, an in-depth musical analysis presented in digestible episodes. We had both Cole and Marcus on the podcast earlier this month. So if you missed either of those conversations, please go back and check them out. Don't worry, there are no spoilers in today's episode. As a reminder, at the end of the episode, I announce our book club pick for December. It's a good one. Be sure to listen until the very end to find out what it is. All right, y'all. If you've been listening, you know the Stacks podcast finally has merch. I love the items in our store, and I think that you will too. And with the holidays approaching, I wanted to offer a little discount to all of you for listening to the show. I'm giving everyone 20% off from Black Friday through Cyber Monday. All you have to do is use the code BFCM20 for 20% off your purchase from Friday, November 27th through Monday, November 30th. The code is BFCM20. That's for Black Friday, Cyber Monday 20. So if you're doing holiday gifts this year, you can get something for all the bookish people on your lists, like our oversized coffee mug, our super cute dad hats, clothes for the little humans in your life, and of course, our t-shirt honoring my favorite living literary legends like Jason Reynolds, Jessamyn Ward, Kiese Lehman, and more. Head to thestackspodcast.com slash shop and use the code BFCM20 for 20% off the entire shop. I, of course, thank you all so much for your support of this podcast and hope this small discount is a token of my appreciation. Thank you for supporting this small Black-owned business. In the same vein of gratitude, I wanted to continue to honor the folks who love the show and stick by the stacks through it all. My Stacks Pack. They're the folks who contribute monthly through our Patreon and earn perks like our virtual book club, discounts on merch, and more. The last little perk I'm giving to anyone who signs up to be a patron this month is my book tracking spreadsheet. If you follow me on Instagram, you know it's very detailed. It tracks every book you've read, every author, every publisher, how many pages you've read, how many hours you've spent listening to your audiobooks, the number of books you've read, the author's identity, and more. So if you want in on my majorly intense and might I say incredible spreadsheet, be sure to join the Stacks Pack on Patreon by the end of the day on November 30th. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the stacks to join and you'll earn these perks and of course my undying appreciation. I could not make this show without all of you. So thank you to my patrons. Thank you to the Stacks Pack. I appreciate y'all so, so much. Now it's time for the Stacks Book Club conversation with Cole Kushna on The Butterfly Effect by Marcus J. Moore. Okay, everybody, I'm so excited. I am here again today with Cole Kushna. Cole is the host of the Dissect podcast. Cole, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So today is the Stacks Book Club. We're going to be discussing The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America by Marcus J. Moore. And we always start here, Cole. What did you think of the book? I liked it. I thought, yeah, it was overall, I thought it a really nice and easy read, comprehensive, but not 
<clears throat> bogged down with detail. Um, yeah, I, I kind of left reading the book feeling like that was a good service that he kind of provided folks, especially that maybe like Kendrick Lamar's music, but don't know too much about him or his background. Um, I thought it was really accessible, which I think is important. Yeah, I thought it was generally pretty well done. What do you think? I basically exactly the same. I felt like it was really, the writing was really nice. It flowed easily. It really felt like you were reading almost like a magazine article. Yeah. Like it had that really casual kind of conversational tone, which I really appreciated. And I think that I, I'm not, I'm, I have a lot of questions for you because I'm not like a super knowledgeable person about Ken, Kendrick Lamar. Like I haven't spent hours and hours of my life studying his work. So I'm so I was like, this is great. I'm learning more about him. I was listening to your podcast as I was reading. So I was kind of like getting information from two different sources at the same time, which I thought was pretty cool. Plus, I was listening to his albums just yeah. in the background. Yeah. So I liked that it was like a lot of information for me. I don't it wasn't like the greatest book I've ever read. But I thought considering the task at hand, which was write a biography of a person who's in their early 30s, who's still actively creating work, who's still kind of like, I'm going to assume in the prime of their career. Like I think yeah. Kendrick Lamar has so much more that he's going to be bringing to us. That's sort of a huge challenge that um, Marcus took on. And so I think he did a really good job given those constraints. My big question for you is because you're not like probably most people and you've done a lot of research and work trying to learn about Kendrick, what did you think of like the detail stuff? Was there new information for you? Did you feel like, oh my God, I, I never saw that before? Yeah. I mean, that was interesting because I, I listened to your guys' conversation and after hearing that, I was, you know, got some insight on on his process. It, I was really curious like you were to to know if they spoke directly with Kendrick or people close to him like that, which it didn't sound like there was too much of that. Definitely not on Kendrick personally. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience for me because I would say, I mean, for people that don't, don't know, I've dedicated two seasons to Kendrick Lamar. Each episode is five to 8,000 words. And we did, we've done a total of 43 episodes or something on him. So that gives you kind of the, the idea of the scope that I've kind of dealt with Kendrick Lamar in my life. Um, and so there was, I would say there was very little for me, and this is probably, I'm probably one out of a million people <laughs> in terms of my experience with this book. I'd say for me, there wasn't that much new material. So there was, there was definitely some stuff here and there that was new um, that, that I didn't know or didn't come across or didn't remember. Uh, specifically like, like about what one of my favorite parts of the book was when he went into the, the TDE camp and the origin story of that which I knew generally speaking like that, that story, but I didn't know there are some quotes in there that were really cool that I thought were really for me were, were new. And like, those were kind of the exciting moments for me, but I would say, yeah, generally speaking, it was interesting because he used a lot of the same quotes that I used in the podcast only because he was working with the same source as I was for the most part, I would, I would imagine, which is just what's already out there. Um, and it was interesting for him to note on your on your podcast that he didn't go into dam so much because there wasn't as much existing material on him. He wasn't out in the public as much. Um, so that just told me that he was kind of using what was already out there as sources. Um, so, yeah, I would say my experience was a little different because I kind of was like, OK, I know what's I know what's going to happen. I know the, the the information for the most part. I was like, my, I was more interested in like how is how is he going to lay this out? Like what 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 dots are he, is he going to mm. connect with what other dots? How did he see this event impacting this other thing that happened later? Like I was really interested in just his interpretation of the events and how he was going to kind of lay it out in the book. So that was what I found myself like kind of just thinking actually more about that and his approach rather than the content itself, only because I was I was so familiar with it already. But again, my experience is, is going to be totally different than most people. Do you feel like how you researched the book, like how you researched for the podcast, do you feel like you guys had similar sources? Like, did you feel like he got the things that you, like he hit all the notes that you were waiting for him to hit? Like, did it feel like, okay, we've covered our bases here? Or do you feel like you found other things? I just am kind of... Yeah, I think I think he definitely hit all the right, 
I would say up until Dam, um, I would say he hit definitely all the right things in my mind. Um, I think we were using similar sources only because there was like many quotes that I've, I've you either quoted on the podcast or use the actual audio source from in the podcast. Um, so we, I think we were probably dealing with a lot of the same sources, um, which is just what, what exists on public record. So if anyone wanted to do research on Kendrick Lamar, you're probably going to, you know, overlap, there's going to be a lot of overlap. Um, but I, I did think there are some interesting, I would, yeah, the, the different approaches was definitely something that I thought about and, it was cool, like even hearing him talk about his experience with or love of jazz music in your podcast, that definitely clicked in terms of like, oh, I see why there was so much emphasis on To Pippa Butterfly and I, and him, him talking directly with Terrace Martin and Robert Glasper. I could see why so much of the book was weighted to To Pimp a Butterfly era because that's kind of where a lot of things crossed where he was still in the public eye. He was still doing a lot of interviews, but also that was such a revolutionary album. It was just like, I could, I could just see why he lived there more than other places for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think I said it to him, but I definitely wanted more from damn because I personally really like that album. And I recognize that that album isn't the one that people I mean, it is because it's the one that won the Pulitzer, but it's not. I feel like people who like Kendrick, that's not their favorite album for the most part. I think most people are really taken by To Pimp a Butterfly for a lot of reasons. And then I think that there are some people who love Good Kid Mad City because they want to just love, you know, Good Kid Mad City. But I was like, I want more damn. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the only reason why it felt um, the way it did, which I felt like it just kind of ended uh, I would say my main critique of the book, um, if you know how I, you know, I've kind of mentioned last time on our podcast how I feel about critiquing, which I'm not like <laughs> crazy comfortable with. Uh, so take everything with a grain of salt. But that was my experience of the book was it just felt like the end just ended, like a almost like a cliffhanger. And, yeah. and I, I think the only reason I felt like that is because Good Kid, Mad City did have a lot of weight given to it. Um, I would say the main emphasis felt like it was on To Pimp a Butterfly, but there was a good amount yeah. on the origin story. There's a good amount on even Section 80 and like that coming of age kind of the growth. And so when we got to Dam, you were thinking, I was thinking, okay, we're going to get that equal proportion that seemed to be distributed throughout the book. Where we're going to get that with Dam. And then it just kind of ended. And I would have, yeah. I, I mean, the way that I see Dam, it's such a, God, it's such a pivotal moment for him. Um because that's it. And he mentioned it on your podcast, but that's the, that's the Kendrick, like that was the King getting his crown, like to pimp a butterfly. Everyone acknowledges it as like this masterpiece, one of the best works of I mean, all time, to be honest, but it didn't get the popularity that damn got. Right. And damn is this clever, brilliant synthesis of, of popular appeal with the same amount of intricacy thematic weight everything that we expect from Kendrick Lamar like he was able to homogenize that into damn which I think is one of the hardest things to do is to to make something that appeals to the masses but also has an intellectual kind of weight that satisfies the the critics and the academics and I think it's really it's an underrated it's a weirdly underrated record because you'll hear people knock it for not being as complex or as deep or meaningful as the others. And it was kind of like his sellout record or his, his popular appeal record. But yeah, that there's that element of it, but like the genius is that he was able to do that and not compromise on his message. Cause right. when you unpack it, it's every bit as dense as to pimp a butterfly. It may not feel like that, but when you get down to the unpacking the storyline, um, it's just not as obvious as of a narrative of a story that tip of a butterfly because you get the poem, you get the Tupac conversation. So it's like really thematic or cinematic uh, in a very obvious way, whereas Damn feels more like a like just a regular album. But again, when you unpack it, you there's a narrative. There's a narrative that goes front to back. Um, it, you know, it's all these super brilliant things. So anyways, all that to say, I wish some of that was kind of delved into a little bit more in at the end. Yeah. I think one of the things that I learned from your podcast about Kendrick that wasn't in the book as much 
as I would have liked, because I was sort of one of the things about him that I was curious about is his connection to religion, because that is such a huge part. I mean, and it comes up a little bit in the book and it comes up somewhat on to pimp a butterfly like it's there. But in damn like that is basically the whole album it's like his god album essentially right he's talking about demons and angels and and this whole thing and i was really curious about that in you know as some because what i loved what marcus did is that he would take the music and he would take what was going on and he would bring real life into it and the culture into it and he would analyze it so he was kind of working on these three different levels and i just would have loved that for damn because I think that that religious aspect, especially when we look at the subtitle, which is how Kendrick Lamar ignited the soul of Black America, I think that there is a lot of religion and questions about religion in this younger generation, especially in Black communities. And so I was sort of looking forward to that. And so it left me a little bit, em- a little bit like, not empty, but I just felt like, oh, what a missed moment for me because I really wanted to know more like selfishly but I don't know that if I had read the book without ever listening to your damn dissection I would have even known that it was missing Mm. you know like because I had no idea that that album was had anything really to do I mean there's the song God or whatever but I didn't really know I hadn't listened to it in that way like I hadn't really understood it and I a lot of the references like you're saying because it's so complex a lot of the references went right over my head on my listenings before. So I don't know. But for me, that was like what I was really, that was in addition to just loving damn, that was the part of damn that I wanted to get more information from. Yeah. I can see where that would put him in a little bit of a bind because that it was such a personal album in terms of him kind of sorting out his own spiritual philosophy connection to God and, and he wasn't, like he said, he wasn't as public about that. And he's never really seemed to be too comfortable talking about religion or spirituality so much in depth in interviews. So I could see where you might mm. be hesitant to try to dive too deeply into a subject that seems kind of private. Um, and that's, right. you, I mean, it's something I think about when I approach, you know, dissect is you want to be respectful to the artist uh, and their intentions. And... I could see where maybe he wasn't comfortable in going too deeply there only because there there isn't a lot of direct source material from Kendrick about that subject specifically. Yeah. So I think, I think maybe that's part, part of why it wasn't so much focused on, because you'd really have to use the lyric at that point. It would become more of a lyrical analysis and kind of, yeah. And then you get into the subjective nature of that. And so in a book like this, I don't know if it makes as much sense to, to go into subjective lyrical analysis when it's so much of a biography kind of factual based work. So yeah, like that's true. That's makes sense. But even like the black Panther stuff I thought could, could have maybe been emphasized a little bit more. Cause that was, I thought a pretty important thing that he did. Um, yeah. And then that movie, you could even kind of go into there too. But I mean, I'm yeah. sure he has his reasons and, and I don't want to, you know, obviously spend the whole time criticizing the, the lack of damn because, I mean, everything before that was, you know, so well done, you know. So good. Yeah. Agreed. No, that I mean, the the criticism of the lack of damn for me is, I think, probably more just selfish because that's the album that I like the most. Yeah. So I'm sure that different readers, like if you love Good Kid, Mad City, you probably feel really satiated and like really good because you're like, great, there was so much on this album yeah. that I love. And like, I got to understand the making of this album. So I think more was just like, I want, I want to hear him talk about the song with Rihanna. Like, I want this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I love loyalty. I just want to hear about it. Like, how was Riri? <laughs> you know, which yeah. is like a totally a me thing and not really a Marcus thing. Um, Okay, I do have I have a criticism of Cole Kushner. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not really a criticism, but <laughs> it is a I would like an addendum to the episode of um, All Right, I think, when mm-hmm. you talk about the yams. Okay. Because I, when I heard you're like, okay, where's this bitch? I don't know. Okay. Well, just as a as a preface, I haven't like 
That's, those are my first episodes, and then those are like four years ago. So I don't even know what I said, to be honest. Well, good. Then I'm going to let you know. <laughs> you talked about the yams in the line. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. It's in King Kunta. King Kunta that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. In King Kunta. And he talks about he about the yams. And every time I heard that lyric before I ever listened to your podcast, I was like, oh, this is a reference to that scene in Martin when Martin is in the radio station and the guy's like, I have yams on my property and I have a lake and like whatever. And it's one of my favorite episodes. So okay. you might not be this deep <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh it's it that's got to be what it is mm-hmm. and then i listened to your episode and you talked about like i don't know native son or something was that the book <laughs> yeah, no yeah, uh, or, invisible man yeah, native yeah, son, yeah. one of them and i was like oh wow that's really smart like mm, so great cole's so smart i'm such an idiot i thought it was martin but then in marcus's book he talks about how kendrick loves martin yeah, and yeah. him and the other like producer guy used to like hang out yeah. and watch it together and i was like it's gotta be a combination i feel like it is a oh, martin yeah, reference sure. and a native son reference or whatever so yeah. i just want you to know that i dissected that <laughs> on my own <laughs> i'll go back and change it yeah yes please go back and put in a tracy addendum being like and tracy from the sax wants you to know also maybe martin is yeah. <laughs> but i did love that stuff because like those little moments in the book where it was like Kendrick Mm -hmm. did X, Y, and Z or like he watched Martin or like whatever. I thought that was really fun because I don't think of him as being a very fun person just Mm -hmm. because we don't get to see that side of him. You know, like you never see him like out period, but like you never see him like doing fun things or like talking about fun things or even like wearing clothes with like references or anything. So those little nuggets were like, ah, I savor these moments, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a lot, especially early Kendrick, there's a lot of those really fun stories. And because by all accounts, he is really funny and goofy, um, but right. he obviously doesn't show that in, in interview settings. But um, yeah, even like his him being like obsessed with like Fruity Loops uh, yeah. or no, Fruity Pebbles, sorry. Um, and just, yeah, just things that you see or hear. Yeah, that, that was especially those early moments that he kind of dived into Marcus in the book, I thought were just really fun um yeah he just did a great job kind of laying out like the multiple sides of his kind of personality um which yeah again the kendrick lamar we know now has matured and become this almost like prophetic icon or something um but it's good to remember that he was just a kid you know Um, right yeah and i think some of that comes from what happened with to Pimba Butterfly and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I mm-hmm. think that especially with the song All Right, which, you know, he talks like, I think there's a whole chapter on just that song or yeah. just that moment um, in the book. But I think that sort of like Kendrick Lamar gets a little bit lost as a human in the greater moment of the movement. Like when that song came out and that video came out and it's like the black and white and he's like up on that telephone yeah. or the like stoplight or a of what is it's a lamp or something right yes a street lamp yeah a street lamp yeah and like that imagery and all of that i feel like uh, people myself included were able to kind of use him as like a projector screen and we were able to project onto him whatever we thought about him and the movement and black lives matter and his music because he sort of was a blank publicly so it was like mm-hmm. oh this is what kendrick lamar believes or like this is what kendrick kendrick lamar is a symbol of the moment or all of these things that i don't necessarily know that he a asked for or b are true to who he is politically yeah. you know because there's that part in the book where they talk about his sort of like all lives matter moment that he had very publicly where he like sort of was like a little bootstrappy a little all lives mattery a little you know, black people need to stop killing each other in a way that, you know, we hear those talking points from people who are on the all lives matter side. And so I think that like, one of the things that was interesting about this book was that I felt like Marcus did a good job of reminding the reader that yes, this album and this song kind of became like an anthem, but that that wasn't necessarily from who Kendrick is as a person. And it's not that it wasn't that either, but it's like that there was a combination of 
this momentum and this movement and Black Lives Matter and then also this music and that they came together and that like something happened, you know? So I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, that that moment is interesting that his comments about Michael Brown to Billboard, I believe it was, because um, I see that as a big turning point for Kendrick in terms of how he decided to handle all political things after that point, because I might be getting I'm pretty sure I'm right in this, but it was after that moment that he stopped answering any political questions in interviews. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere I can't remember where. They were giving an interview and the and the interviewer was trying to ask something about politics and TDE, whoever he was there with kept interjecting like, no, like you can't ask that question. They became like, I think Kendrick became really more protective about what he said in an mm-hmm. interview. And he decided to put all his focus kind of thematic, political, whatever statements that he wanted to make in his art, because that's where he excels. Right. That's what we know him for. That's, and that's where he, I think he's able to express himself most clearly. Um, because what do you said in that? Like, if you, if you read it in con, like, you, it's like anything else, you take it out of context, right. it sounds kind of bad. It's basically sounds like he's saying, he's, I think the direct quote is something like, how can we uh, expect them to respect us if we can't even respect ourselves? But, and then, but something that he said, in re- kind of in response to that in, a, in an MTV interview, which something that's always stuck with me is he said, I'm not speaking to the community. I'm not speaking for for of the community. I am the community, mm. which to me, I say, which I interpret as like, who the fuck are any of you to, to kind of judge what I say? Because I'm from Compton. I lived what you guys are fighting for. How could mm. how could what I'm feeling be wrong because it is an expression of the community you're talking about. And so I always try to keep that in mind in terms of like, and plus everything else that he has done to me proves that he's not like trying to tout tote that like all lives matter kind of, kind of statement. I think he's very, he thinks, he thinks 360 and maybe in that moment is wrong timing or, or, or bad kind of, kind of expression of that idea. But I don't know. I, I always try to give people the benefit of doubt of, of sure. kind of misspeaking or, or especially when it's coming for someone like him who's, who lived the experience that we're fighting kind of public or like as a group or as a nation to kind of like rectify. Right. So. Right. But but it is interesting that you can point to that interview and that the backlash that he got and kind of draw a line to where that's where he kind of started to become more private, more reclusive. And yeah, again, like deciding that my art is going to be where I kind of put my my voice and my my statements. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting things that you said there. One of the things that sticks out to me is like what we know, you know, from from reading the book is that he spent a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time craft working on his craft, working on his music, working on his art, and probably not nearly as much time working on interviews and answering questions yeah. about politics, et cetera. And I think that that's really a smart move because that's a totally different skill set. And yeah. not to say that he can't speak publicly. Like he, I think he does a great job, but I think that recognition of like, look, I've spent all this time to make this art and I'm yeah. not gonna, I'm not gonna do anything that would jeopardize letting my art do what I want it to do because I'm an artist, you know, like, I think that that's really interesting. And the other thing is I I interpret that I am the community in a slightly different way. Yes. To what you said. And also I think that there's this idea that because people are black or of any community are women are queer, whatever it is like monolithic. Yeah. That it's monolithic. Mm -hmm. And I interpret that to be like, look, I'm just another voice that's expressing from inside the black community. Right. And like that, that we black people should be more than allowed to say what we think, even if it's not, and it should be held in equal weight as other people from the community talking, right. As opposed to being like held up as whatever. Um, But I guess what my point also was, is that because because the music says one thing and everyone interprets, you know, like, you know, there's a song and you think the song means this and it mm. means that to you in that moment. And so you project that onto the artist. Yeah. I think that happens a lot. And I think that's also some of what's happened to Kendrick. His humanity or his individualness or whatever has become 
tied up in everyone else's understanding of that song, you know, and like that all right is that is who he is. Right. And like, Mm. there isn't room for him to be, you know, um, humble or there isn't room for him to be King Kunta or there isn't room for him to be all the other songs that he's done in his past. Bitch don't kill my vibe. Like there's so many other versions of him, but I feel like that song because of how it landed and because of the imagery of the music video and the performance and just like, it was just, I mean, it's so powerful. It's such an incredible song. And I think that like to a little bit, to a small extent, like it, sort of defines him, even if that's not what he says about himself or what we know about him in other spaces. And and I, I don't know. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, and it could be both, right? I mean, it could yeah. it could be both seeing because he's he's someone that's kind of looked and the way that I see kind of like damn and to Pippa Butterfly as like a as almost like this kind of two sides of the same coin. One and he said this directly in an interview in a damn interview where he said, you know, there's Pete, you know, uh, to butterfly was how to, you know, looking at the world and, and how do we change thing as a culture and a community? Dan was looking within and how do I change the world before I can change myself? And mm. so I think his kind of that, the whole, how can they respect us if we can't respect like ourselves kind of was that more introspection. Like what can we do? What can I do to kind of better my community, better myself, blah, blah, blah. But also then looking at the other side, it's like, how can we as a as a people do it? So I think he just thinks like three, six. I think he just he's he's a really complex thinker. Um, and I think it could be both. And, and, and another way you can kind of interpret um, that quote and, and something that I, I've thought about is like. It's almost like this idea of like. Look at the history of this country. Are we going to expect those same people to do what we want now? Like, where's the evidence that we could rely on anyone but each each other to make a change, right? Because for 200 and something years, it's been the same way. So, like, maybe there was that. That's okay. It's like, we know what that is. Like, even when he, like Donald Trump got elected, he didn't speak on it that much because he's like, he said something to the effect of like, we already know what that is. Like, why right. are we going to, you know, we know what it is. Like, that's the, this is the reality. It's been the reality. So like, what can we do? Like, what could, you know, I do to to affect change and, and, and stop relying on the outside thing. So I think it was just like a combination of like, he sees both, both forces and kind of is trying to reckon with both was my interpretation right. of it all. Right. I think, oh my God, this, I'm just so interested in this. I think also, I'm just like, you're making me keep thinking going. <laughs> I think also that one of the things about the book that was challenging for me as a reader was that sometimes I would sort of lose Marcus's train of thought a little bit, or like I would have a hard time figuring out where he was going. But I think some of that also has to do with the complexity of the levels on which Kendrick Lamar is working. Cause even having this conversation with you right now, I'm like, Oh my God, yes, this, I want to pull this in. I want to pull that. in. as I'm thinking, as I'm going and I'm realizing that maybe that's something that Kendrick um, evokes in a lot of us is like there's so many moving pieces and yeah. there's so many layers and he's so complex that even if you streamline all your thinking and you have plenty of time to edit and go through there are all these layers and they're working on different levels you know concurrently inside out backwards forwards that it's hard he makes the reader or the listener or the whatever consumer feel a little bit crazy yeah. <laughs> because you're like, I can't get it all out of my brain. Yeah. But all of a sudden I'm having, cause like that was one of my other feelings about the book. Cause I was like, it was a little, I was a little confused reading it, but now talking about it, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause it is confusing because it's so complicated. Yeah. And I, that was one of the things that I thought throughout reading the book was like, that is probably, I don't know. I've yet to talk to him, but I would imagine that was one of the biggest challenges was just, what to put in because you it seemed like a very considered effort to make this concise digestible mm-hmm. not too mm-hmm. long like it's a good you know it's it's a short nice read yeah. yeah it could have easily and i'm sure he would probably agree like that could have this could have been a thousand page book you could yes. it, easily like easily even right. like you could have a book length of just one album at at this length so so i imagine like one of the challenges was yeah, simulating all this information, all these complex layers, especially bringing in the social stuff into the conversation where that can have its own, you know, library of books. So, yeah, it's just I, I could see the challenge of like 
of keeping things cohesive while, while still addressing all the points and all the layers. Like that's, it's a huge, it's a huge undertaking for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a listener, her name is Tibby and she just let me know that she does, she's reading the book, mm-hmm. but she doesn't listen to pop music at all. Like popular music at all. Um, in her house or whatever that's just like not her jam Mm. so i'm gonna be very interested to hear like hearing from you and then hearing from someone like tibby that's like i have no fucking clue what any of this is (laughs) like because you came into it with such an advantage of like knowing the material so well that you could probably pinpoint every single reference that he makes to an album or a song or an instrument or whatever whereas i was a little bit kind of in the middle i think of like i know this stuff but i don't know it great like Mm. i don't know every word but i know the bops like I, I love a bop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we're back. I want to shift our conversation slightly to sort of the creative process because one of the things that I did not know about Kendrick Lamar was that I didn't even really know about Top Dog Entertainment, but I didn't really know how how collectively yeah. he works. And mm-hmm. I found that to be really fascinating. It made me appreciate his work more because I do think that sonically his music is very rich. And I think obviously to pimp a butterfly is like, it. it's like unlike anything you've heard, mm-hmm. at least done that well. I'm sure there are people who are doing similar things with jazz and hip hop, but it definitely, I mean, un, I should say not you've heard, unlike anything I've ever really heard um, to that level. So I'm curious what you, as someone who listens to a lot of hip hop and breaks it down and stuff, is it common that hip hop, or that rappers are working in this way, this super collective communal sort of like 
almost always on a retreat in the sense that he's mm. working at TD to create with a group of people and they're constantly doing that. I would say the best ones, that is a through line. Um, the best ones are always really involved. Like I'm thinking Kanye is super hands-on. Even like a Beyonce is really hands-on. They're like the glue and they're the ones, you know, the, a common thread of, of amongst all of them. Even like Tyler, the creator, Frank Ocean, like all the people that I've covered on the podcast. Yeah, there <laughs> is that through line of like, they're heavily involved. It's a it's a all hands on deck. We're going to sleep in the studio type experience. Um, and they're the glue. They're going to be working harder than anyone. They're setting that tone. Um, I think it's true. I'm sure you could. Uh, it probably expands outside of, of music as well. It's like that's I think anyone working on this level of kind of artistry and excellence is going to have that in common. It's it's not a coincidence that that the the best artists are the ones that are so hands-on in every aspect even if they're not credited as such. And that, and you can look across Kendrick specifically his discography where he's working with different producers on Good Kid Mad City and then To Pimp a Butterfly and then Damn. But they all have I mean they all have Kendrick in common and so even though each one of those projects sounds drastically different from each other mm. They're all excellent, like all superior pieces of art. And so it doesn't surprise me that Kendrick is hands. I mean, even I don't think it was in the book, but like he's the one that personally cut up that that interview with him and Tupac. Like he did that all himself and then sent oh, wow. it to them and they heard it just like how we heard it without the background music. But like so that's how involved he is. He's actually in some of the, you know, even though he's not a great editor in terms of like technical at least from my understanding right, right. like he did that in garage band um the tupac thing in garage band which is like the irony of that is amazing but um because that's a, it's a really simple program that's what i use okay so yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, me and kendrick are really it's not simple it's for the brilliant people thank you very much yeah but uh, i mean even like it, like his vocal layers like if you if you just listen to kendrick like especially like in headphones and just listen to his vocal alone and, and try to ignore the music you'll hear certain like almost like harmonies in the rap where he'll come in or there'll be a chorus with like just multiple layers of, of him. And, mm. you know, that comes, I know that come, is coming directly from him. Um, wow. and, and Beyonce is the same way. Like you listen to Beyonce, especially recently, like Black, Black Parade is a really great example of how just amazing Beyonce is as a vocalist where she's adding layers that you feel but not, don't necessarily hear. And those kind of things are like those details that if you don't aren't like kind of dissecting it, you're not going to notice, but you're going to, that's why those songs are great because of things like that, because of the, that attention to detail. And that can only come from the artist because even the best producer, like if that's not coming from the artist, mm -hmm. you're, it's, you're not going to find that kind of equilibrium that you're looking that that makes a really great art piece of art where you have right. top-notch production, but also the artist is going to contribute just as much or more. Uh, and, and that's what kind of creates that um, that kind of special quality. So it's not surprising that Kendrick is is all hands on deck. Uh, and I don't, again, to, I guess your question, I, I don't think that's common. And that's what separate, kind of separates him. Not everyone has right. that ability. Right. And I mean, it's so wild because he's, I mean, even like Kanye who I really like his music, but I think he's a clown. Um, even he has like a lot of misses, not a lot. He has some misses. I feel like so far, like Kendrick has not missed. No, like yeah. he, they, that TDE community, like that, that crew, they're really diligent. And like, I think they're, they must be very self-critical. They must be yeah. able to be super open with each other and be like, that's not it. Yeah. And like to have that kind of community, as an artist, it I was just really inspired by that. I felt that that was really just for any artist, for anyone creating anything, if you're a writer, if you're a podcaster, whatever it is, to have a space where you have people that can give you feedback and can help enhance what you're doing and that you trust and yeah. all of that is incredible. But also for these like young men in a place like Compton where like their friends and their family are being murdered and being killed and like that there's all this other shit that's going on that, you know, is talked about in the book and that Kendrick is very upfront about his upbringing and his youth. Like, 
I just think that space, that refuge for creativity is like, it gives me chills just thinking about it because I, I think every person should be able to have that. And unfortunately, whether you're from Compton or fuck Calabasas, like not everybody gets that, you know? And I just think for Tiffith to have kind of cultivated this yeah. space, like just goes to show kind of how visionary he is as yeah. well. Yeah. That was the most, that was probably my favorite part of the book was just that kind of where he did dive into top dog and that whole origin story, because it's incredible that all the core members were there from the beginning, you know, right. at their kind of just showing that they have some promise and they kind of form this family that is still by all accounts, heavily intact today, especially with how popular a lot of those artists got you. I'm sure there's so many outside influences trying to kind of get their hands on, them and and influence them but it seems like they made a really deliberate effort to just keep that core really tight you know marcus said you know when they're on album mode you know no one's getting to them when they're in that zone and they seem like they're perpetually in that zone so it seems right. like they have this really kind of safe space in the studio to like create take as much time as they need get that feedback that's critical keep you know in in an in a industry now that is really demands that you need to be putting out singles all the time and playing the streaming games they have not really succumbed to any right. of that and i think that's why they're really one of the very few kind of camps we can look at that just consistently put out quality quality records quality work every the, the videos i mean everything they put out and put their name on is usually spectacular and i think it it, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about is just having that kind of space that not a lot of people I don't think know how to cultivate because it's really hard, especially as you right. get, when you get really that big um, right. when, and so many people are, are seeing the dollar signs in you. Um, they've really done a really great job about just keeping that core together. Yeah. And like, I mean, even just thinking about the other artists that you mentioned that are really great, who like Beyonce, it's like, she also has that, yeah. like, you know, she can secretly release an album in the middle of the night and nobody spoils any of it because her crew, the people who work with her and for her are also holding her down, you know, like it's like really a team and collaborative effort and, you know, not just music, but like, I mean, back in the old days of France, like the impressionist painters were like a crew and they had their yeah. own like, you know, and I just think that like that kind of collaborative communal um, art making is what leads to these really special artists and art movements, right? Like this Kendrick definitely is like the per one of the people that we think of when we think of sort of the protest movement of our moment, but he it's not just him. Like there's so many other people that are inspired by and that are bringing stuff out either with him or in response to him. And I think that like as a catalyst, he's really where we are all culturally indebted to to Kendrick and TDE yeah. for the work that they do and the sacrifice that they make to bring out really, really good stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, even like speaking on to pimp a butterfly, like there's a huge success with good kid, mad city. I think it's, you know, obviously it starts with Kendrick in terms of like making a sophomore album that is essentially an experimental album and it ended up working, but there's a hundred right. different ways that that doesn't work. And it's and, right. And he comes out with a flop. But testament to TDE for allowing him to have that creative freedom to do that with your sophomore record, which should, quote, should, quote, unquote, sound more like a damn than a to pimp a butterfly because mm -hmm. you're trying to capitalize on the success of your debut and kind of build on that and, and really kind of skyrocket in terms of popularity. But no, he took a, not a step back, but he took a kind of creative, creative step forward with a sophomore record, which is really rare. Uh, and I think that speaks to TDE allowing him that creative freedom uh to do that because it is a risk it's a it's a huge risk at that level you know yeah do you have any if you were going to just go out on a whim i'm going to ask you to guess what do you think his fourth album would sound like if you had to guess i have no, I have no idea there's rumors that it's more kind of rock influenced but that can literally mean anything, anything. um and it, it might just be there's a guitar on one song and, and then, <laughs> then a rumor starts, you know, you never know. Like right. I've heard these right. kind of rumors before where it's like, Oh, it's this 
really electronic sounding like or you know they give some description about it and then it's like oh there's like a synth in one song you're like okay that's right. <laughs> not exactly what we were thinking it was going to be so i don't know i mean i'm so curious because i know it's going to be something totally different if, if yeah. history kind of proves to be true um and i have no d- idea what he's going to talk about because i felt like damn was so conclusive um and it kind of to me it, it kind of put this really nice end cap on the trilogy of good kid to pimp a butterfly and damn like i see him as these kind of interconnected works where god is like that kind of ultimate like that's the arrival moment that song Mm. um so i'm really interested even what he's going to talk about um and it's weird now because you know damn came out right when after trump was elected and now he's going to have one after trump was de-elected or I don't know what the term is but I feel like that's what happened more than a Biden election was Trump was thrown out of office so it's going to be I'm just like the symmetry of that is really interesting to me and and I don't even know if he's going to touch on any of that but um, yeah I'm really I'm just interested I, I, I wanted to drop but I also want him to take as much time as he needs right of course okay I have another this is more of a you question but I am curious because you have on your show you cover black artists exclusively so far and you're not black i don't think no no so what is because marcus talked about this on the episode and you talked about it on your first episode about wanting to like lend some sort of um legitimacy that a lot of hip-hop artists aren't lent or black artists aren't always lent especially during their lifetime to the work and so i'm curious sort of how you feel about that being someone who's not black and and sort of taking that mantle on yeah i i would say one i am a small thread in this kind of like marcus is a great example of someone that is trying to do a similar thing and it's happening across a lot of things right now so right, right. i would say of i'm course. not like the end all be all at no no and, of course and, not, what, of course and not. whatsoever <laughs> so i'm just like i feel like i'm just one voice in this kind of choir of voices that's trying to do a similar thing with specifically hip-hop it seems like more and more people are starting to like you know the pulitzer prize is a a great example of like uh like a historical compensation or something right where Mm -hmm. this genre has been ignored for until just recently like that's insane to me hip-hop's like you know since the 70s and it's now only getting recognition almost 40 years later in in that capacity so I think it's it, to me in terms of specifically about that, I think it's the more voices, the better. Um, and my approach is always trying to be as respectful to the content as possible um, and not trying to like just make a name for myself. Like I'm genuinely passionate about like what people are doing, especially like Kendrick Lamar is doing. And I think, you know, as a kind of a, someone that's thinking about music and very interested in like what is happening now, like I'm, that's what I'm usually the most passionate, like what is the most relevant to this moment of history? What are we going to like a hundred years from now look back on musically as a representation of the times? And to me, it is hip hop. So it's like as, as a kind of like cultural critic or, or thinker or something like whatever you want to call it. Like I, it seems it would be weird for me personally. Like it just, it's weird for me to, to not do hip hop because it is mm. such the most, it's the most popular, it's the most prominent and it's speaking to, I think like the most important issues happening in the country. So it's like, and again, Kendrick Lamar is why a lot of people are interested in him is because he, he's kind of the intersection of all of that. And so that's, it's, there's a few components of my, th- my, th- of what goes into my thinking there, but like, that's, that's definitely one of them. Um, and I would say it's just hip hop is such a representation of, what's happening socially, what's happening musically in terms of like, even just like the interesting, all the innovation I feel like is happening in hip hop. Like there's so many subgenres of hip hop now. Yeah. There's all these experimental sounds. It's, you know, electronic computer-based music, which is, I think speaks exactly to our times and this kind of technological revolution that's happening. Um, And I think hip hop is like indicative of all the whole spectrum of right now. And so as a kind of, someone that's interested in that topic that's why i've I've chosen to kind of live in this world um at least one one reason why um and i just hope you know 
I do enough research to where I feel justified in in kind of putting that out there. Do you feel like it's hard to to do the work sometimes because of the conversations? Like, do you? I just I think about this a lot because I think that you do such great work. But I'm curious for you, like internally, when you're putting it out, is there any like insecurity there or any like nervousness about about who you are in relationship to the work that you cover? I think it was definitely something in, in the beginning that I thought a lot about. Um, even had like pitching the idea to fr- some friends that had pushed back about specifically that. So I would say it was more of an issue in the beginning. I would, I try to do my best to, to justify how I'm doing it right. and, and doing the best job I can. Um, but I think even that pressure early on was like, okay, if you're going to do this, you fucking better do it right. Like, right. you know what I mean? There's no fake, <laughs> yeah. there's no faking this and you're stepping into a territory that you need to really know your, like do your research and, you know, and, and even like, as I've grown, th- that was like in the early days when I was doing it all, all on my own. But since then, it's like, I brought in collaborators, especially right. these past couple of seasons um, who have helped give me perspective that, I cannot have. Um, and so I've tried to, as, as I've had more resources to incorporate more voices, um, and bring in that diversity, like, you know, in the actual show. So, you know, I, I, I guess I'm just trying to do the best that I can. And, and to answer your question, I, at this moment, I don't feel there's always pressure, like, sure, but I've kind of gotten to a point where I know what needs to be done, at least in my own mind to do it correctly or as at least as, as correct as I can and so right. it's just so like lot. acclimated to the pressure I think so yeah I mean yeah. and maybe if I got more kind of pushback I would be thinking about it more um mm. but there hasn't been much of that so I don't, whatever that means but um that's fair. I just was curious and I didn't get to ask you about it last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And it was something that I re- I just am, have been curious about ever since I started listening to your podcast, like how you navigate that. So, and I think, I, I mean, ask. I think it's a something probably most listeners think about or at least crosses their mind when they press play. Like I would, I would assume I've heard similar stories where it's like almost like a skepticism of like, who is this guy talking about black music, which I a hundred percent understand you know I, and yeah. i think there's probably a lot of people that don't even listen to the show or have pushed play just because of that and i get i understand that too yeah totally well you know i think you're right so i, I do <laughs> i i think as a listener you can tell that you've put a lot of time and effort and you've committed to doing a good job and i think for me like that is that is great and I also think, like, as you said, you've brought on collaborators, which I think has really enhanced the show. Like, I think the Lemonade season with Titi Shodia was, like, so incredible because the relationship between the two of you and hearing that and hearing her talk about things, hearing you talk about different things and, like, bringing your experiences and your understandings to the table just made for, like, a, such an incredible listening experience. So, I mean, I'm yeah. a big fan of yours, so I don't need to talk too much about how great I, I think you are. I would say but... <laughs> like one thing too, just to, to to put a cap on it, like the show isn't about me. Like, no, I, I know it's coming from my voice and it's my kind of writing, but like all I'm trying to do is figure out what the artist is trying to say, and that's what I'm trying right. to convey on the show. It's like I very rarely use the word "I" in the show ever because it's always about what is this lyric, what is the artist trying to say. And I try to leave myself out of it as much as possible. Um, yeah. And so that, and that's the approach that I think is necessary, especially given my race and background. Yeah, you're 100% right. I should have also said that, that it's very little to actually do with you. Um, okay, I have two more things that I want to talk about. One is just a moment in the book that I was like, I did not know this, and that is fucking crazy, mm. is that I didn't realize that Kendrick's big break came off someone else's murder. I felt like that was really like, because he was asked to go on tour after the other guy's hype man. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that moment, I I don't know. I just, I guess I'd never heard that kind of like part of his origin story. Um, And I don't know if there's like too much to say about it, but I just, that was a moment that really stuck out in my understanding of him. And I think maybe, you know, there's like a little chip on his shoulder. Like I have to do right because someone else had to die for me to get this moment. But I just, I don't know. Yeah. That was new information for me too. Uh, Oh, okay. 
and yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that's how he kind of got on that role for that tour. Um, which I mean, it's a, it's definitely a sad situation. Um, just how, I mean, talk about two experiences, like just in terms of like, unfortunately it seemed like death of a friends or cousins or, or was a commonplace, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know much what there is to say, but it was, yeah. Yeah. It's just something I wanted to note because it definitely stuck out in my mind as like a little piece of his story that I didn't know. The other thing is, did I'm sure you knew that they were maybe going to call to pimp a butterfly to pimp a caterpillar and then yeah. it was going to be Tupac. Yeah. Well, that yeah, was a little yeah. too on the nose <laughs> for me. <laughs> I was like, okay, everybody, a little too cute. <laughs> yeah. I and think, like, yeah, I don't know if it was the plant. Because I don't know if people would, if he just called it to pimp a caterpillar, I don't know how many people would have picked up on it spelled out Tupac, especially if he but, just kept T T O. Right. Which I was the way, how it was yeah. written in the book, it was very more obvious. But yeah, um, it was T U, and I was like, this is really, this is like a Disneyland moment <laughs> of like, oh, Tupac is my hero, and I saw him perform, and now my album's yeah. named for him. Um, but yeah, I definitely that was another moment in the book where I was like in a totally different way like oh interesting yeah. glad they changed that yeah he made the right move but it's per- it's kind of perfect because there is that layer underneath the title now um where and especially how tupac is essentially referenced at least once in every single song and then it culminates with the conversation he has with him at the end right so it's i mean it's like kendrick everything kendrick is just heavily layered even as yeah even with the title yeah that conversation is so weird to me. I cannot get into it. I know that it's like a oh, big really? moment or whatever, but it just is like, I, I also hate interludes. I hate when songs mm. have talking. Like, I love I. That's like one of my favorite songs. But I hate that there's like two minutes of talking at the mm. end because I yeah. just want to go from one bop to another. <laughs> like, I'm I'm here for dancing and like having yeah. a good time and listening to music and like nodding my head. And I'm not necessarily here for like a sermon. And so that's one of the reasons I don't love to pimp a butterfly. Truth be told is like, there's a little bit too much talking yeah. for me in the album. And I like that damn flows like song to song like yeah but, I, pro- I mean i probably yeah. listen to damn more than i do to pippa butterfly although to pippa butterfly is probably my favorite album ever um because every time i put on to pippa butterfly it's like more as more like i'm putting on a movie than a than an album that's how i experience it i don't i can't skip a song on to pippa butterfly i can't just listen to one song um I have to listen to the whole thing all the way through every time, or I just don't listen to it. Um, right. Where damn, I feel like you could shuffle things out of order and it's still, it's still fine. Yes, totally. A hun- that's a hundred percent right. Okay. Do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about or things that came up for you in the book before we kind of wrap up? Um, no, I, I think we covered the, the gist. I think overall, again, I'll just say it's, I think it was a, a really, a feat, a great kind of contribution um that he offered i think anyone that doesn't know kendrick's story that that is semi-interested in him it's worth reading um yeah and it's i think it's cool to to think about things that are happening now as critically as we think about things that might have happened 20 years ago and how they affected yeah. today that I think there's not a lot of opportunities that you get, especially with music and, or even just like artists. We usually save our biographies until at least later into their life. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's worth reading. I think I hope 10 years from now, there's a second version of this, you know, yeah, where he could pick up where he left off and maybe damn in retrospect, you know, makes a little more contextual sense and, you could start there. I could. You can very easily just start there and then cover the next ten years. I. I think. Right. I think it's. It's kind of cool what he did and set himself up for potentially. Yeah, and I think like writing this book in the moment while Kendrick's still in his prime and kind of thinking about things that are not that long long ago normally like when it's a book about politics in that way I usually hate them and I'm mm. not interested but I do feel like Marcus really found interesting ways to tackle this information that made it feel um, 
like 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 criticism, like he was common commenting on the culture in a way that a lot of books that are written about like super current events or things that are still unfolding and going on don't have that depth. And so mm-hmm. I think that is also something that's super commendable for what he did with this book. Like he really made a piece of art of the artwork, you mm-hmm. know, or of the music. Yeah. So the last thing we always do, and I don't think this will take too long, but we always talk about the title and the cover. Mm. Um, The title of this book, again, is The Butterfly Effect, How Kendrick Lamar Ignited the Soul of Black America. Um, And for those of you who are listening and you can't see it, you should probably just Google the book so you can see the cover. But it's this gorgeous picture, kind of artwork, drawing Mm. of a photograph um, of Kendrick sort of looking off into the distance with his little beanie and his little (laughs) jewels all black. And it's just real. It's I mean not to spoil how I feel about the cover or the title, but I think the cover is so incredible. Um, it, I just think it's be- yeah. like, it's so stunning. Yeah. It's, it's rare to have that much taste in a liter- literary work. And I think it speaks to the, to Marcus and, yeah. and his age and his understanding of like, it looks like a Kendrick Lamar ish. You know what I mean? Like it has yeah. that, that the style and the relevancy yeah. of the moment which speaks to like what he's talking about in the book um, to just have a generic picture of Kendrick. Like it just wouldn't, it, 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 yeah, it really reflects like what he's doing in the book. The cover actually reflects the approach and the taste and, and all of that. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great cover. Yeah. And for the title, I love the title, the butterfly effect. I think that the subtitle for me, I wish there was more about Kendrick Lamar and the soul of black America um, I felt like it was more about Kendrick Lamar and less about the soul of black America. And there is that stuff in there, but I, for the subtitle, it wasn't my favorite, but I think the title and the cover are like so perfect together. And you're right. It gets at, it's not like a photo of Kendrick Lamar, like standing, yeah, holding a microphone. Photo, yeah. yeah. Like it's just really beautiful. It's just, it's a be- it's beautifully done. It's a beautiful package. Um, all right, Cole. This was amazing. For those of you at home, please check out Cole's podcast, Dissect. He's got two seasons on Kendrick Lamar, as we've talked about, but then he's also got seasons on Beyonce, Childish Gambino, Frank Ocean, a little mini thing on on Lauren Hill, Kanye. I mean, it's this shit is so good. It's one of my favorites. Um, Cole, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to Cole Kushner for being my guest. Our book club pick for December is Citizen by Claudia Ranking. We will discuss this book on Wednesday, December 30th, and you can tune in next week, December 2nd, to find out who our guests will be for that conversation. Please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sebastian Alcala. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajith. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Mm-hmm.